This episode of All the President's Minutes and all episodes of All the President's Minutes are brought to you by Bella Catering, bellacatering.com.au, one of Sydney's great catering companies, pivoting to home delivery in this crazy time of COVID. Hopefully, fingers crossed, toes crossed, all the things crossed that they can start getting back out there again. They've been amazing. Glenn, Maria and team, they're awesome. Why the hell cook when you're trying to cater for your family at the moment or why the hell just cook in general if you just want to order a whole bunch of delicious food, have it delivered to your house if you're in the Sydney area, and just not have to worry about it. It's really stressful enough. <laughs> it's stressful enough. <laughs> uh, pitching the lines for them. Guys, a really big and condensed week. Thank you so much um, uh, for following along. We have three amazing episodes for you this week in all the President's Minutes, and then we'll be back to our regular schedule of four. But now... On with the show. Okay, this is what I've heard, and I'll relay to you the thorns. On the rosebush right now are big and there are many of them and they're sharp. These are the poisonous thorns of negativity. But the rose is so much bigger. It's huge and beautiful. This is the rose of positivity. And this is the rose of our future. And it is huge. And it is beautiful. Right now, the thorns of negativity are making their last desperate stand. But soon, they're going to wither and fall away. They're going to rot and disappear. So don't despair. Great times are coming for the United States and for the whole world family. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Um, throughout this crazy process of One Heat Minute and beyond, I've uh, been able to interact with some incredible people and particularly different filmmakers and, and folks who have reached out along the way have like completely blown me away with actually, you know, thinking about a guy sitting in Sydney, completely obsessing over movies um, and actually reaching out and saying that it actually means or they find a kinship is, is so freaking awesome. My guest today almost derailed this entire podcast to be discussing the incredible Phil Alden Robinson sneakers movie for an entire hour um, rather than the minute at hand, the 103rd minute of Robert Redford and Alan J. Pakula's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men. And I almost let him. He is a writer, a director, a producer. His most recent uh, film that you guys would have seen more readily in the States, it's a little bit harder to see in Oz, um, is Are You Afraid of the Dark for Nickelodeon. His latest film, Happily, is coming out next year, Avoiding the Garbage Fire that is 2020. He is one of my favorite people to talk to on uh, on Twitter and just interact with on Twitter and watch him engage with people on Twitter. It's the awesome Ben David Grabinski. Ben David, thank you so much for being a part of all the President's Minutes, my friend. 
Uh, thanks, man. I, uh, it's, it's weird to have so much of your introduction be about a uh, garbage social media site. <laughs> it's funny. Um, my, Carrie Bechet is the lead in Happily, and she had a meeting with a guy at MIT. I don't really know the context of it. And he was asking what she was working on. And she's like, oh, I just made this movie happily. And he asked who made it. And she said my name. And the guy said, oh, yeah, the, the Twitter guy, which <laughs> me the idea. One, she's not on Twitter and doesn't really know what it is. But that some guy at MIT was like, oh, the Twitter guy is something that will probably haunt me forever. <laughs> um, You'll but love anyway, your your, un, your unabashed love of movies, and uh, and I think you say self-confessed movies that you know you sincerely love that other people think are garbage. Um, uh, I, I that's it's it's an attraction. I think that so many people spend a lot of their time shooting on movies, and then there's this great corridor of film Twitter, which you're definitely a part of, where we just love things unabashedly and just talk about how much we love things. And that's, that's, that's what the fun is. It's, it's not the politics. It's not the craziness. It's not this other stuff. It's, it's, it's the loving movies and then occasionally having to stand up for, you know, what you believe to be basic human rights, um, which also comes up on that garbage fire of a website every now and then. Well, I mean, that's one of the only benefits of it at the moment is you can't sit at a party at 1am and like passionately defend some dumbass movie with your friends while drinking beers because you know we're in the apocalypse so right now it's like uh, probably the only real outlet I, I guess you know some people are probably getting on zooms and just like nerding out about movies and i mean that's just, i guess technically what we're doing now um, that's exactly what we're doing anyway my, my whole point is i just i like movies i think they're good yeah and we like that you like them and that you're making them because they're good so let's dive in <laughs> let's dive in to minute 103 and again i i don't want to go too inside baseball but i love when my guests in this show particularly unlike with one heat minute or other shows that we're producing in the future because of the speed that we wanted to undertake this project um i don't usually tell my guests in advance what they're going to watch i sort of go are you available and then we work out a time and then i assign them a minute and i just love getting messages like this how did i get the rat fucking scene did i really get that lucky Yes, you did, Ben David Grabinski. We are here with the incredible Dustin Hoffman, um, Robert Walden playing Donald Segretti, obviously um, uh, Hoffman playing Bernstein, and he's explaining really political fuckery 101, the template for how to disrupt other political parties. And we're actually seeing it live. And now there's no, there's no duplicity in it in America at this moment. There's like, no, we'll just cancel the postal service and we'll close down voting places. And people, our heroes from the eighties, like Arnold Schwarzenegger are currently funding for voting places to be reopened with money they made in the eighties. Cause they're like, I think democracy actually should exist um, and not be like total recall. And some of my other great dystopian movies um, that sort of address, uh, you know, authoritarian society. So we're here. We've got lots to talk about, but first and foremost, let's dive into the scene. Ben, David, and I are going to watch it right now. You guys are going to listen along, and then we're going to come and talk about it. We're going to talk about this scene, but I absolutely promise you that probably we're going to talk about sneakers. We may even talk about Black Hat, and these are other things that you can expect after we watch this minute. I'll probably wind up going to jail and being disbarred. And uh, I don't know what I did that was so goddamn awful. I'll tell you something, none of this was my idea. 
I didn't go looking for the job. Well, that's important. Chapin came to you. You know what? It's funny, but I keep forgetting that you guys knew each other in college. You were friends at SC, you and Chapin. Who else was there? It was me, <clears throat> Dwight, Ziegler, the whole USC mafia. And that's when you got involved, you mean, in the student elections, and we started to try to get your man in, so you stuffed ballot boxes, and, <laughs> and what was that term you guys used for screwing up the opposition? Rat fucking. Rat fucking indeed. What a great I mean, the minute. lock in that word is clipped off right at the minute. I just felt, <laughs> it felt like a divine coincidence. Like, if I could pick three minutes of the movie, like, if I had a choice, this would be in those three. So, uh, you know, it's maybe the only good thing that happened in 2020 was getting that minute. <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it because... I love this Donald Segretti scene. I love it for the naturalism. I love it for the chemistry between these two guys. I love it for the ways that Hoffman is trying to reassure him and then has to change tax, like has to run out of the room to basically be like, uh, oh, you know, you know, you know, this is bad. You know, he, he's, he's sort of starting to break up in front of him. He doesn't know if he's taking the right tact. Um, and then just starting to ease the information out of him once again. Oh, you were with those guys. You know, let's reminisce. Let's tell me about what happened before these bad times, before the dark times, so to speak. And um, yeah, it's just, I just love I, everything that Robert Walden does in this scene is so wonderful. And his face is just literally unforgettable. There needs to be a hundred more actors working today that have his face because it's just, you know, he kind of makes movies feel like real people are in them. It's like Jonathan Demi. I don't know what the exact quote is because my memory is garbage, but he had a quote about casting, like supporting parts in your movie. It was basically saying that whenever a new actor sh shows up, it should feel like they're the most important thing in the movie. And they attention feel like you could watch a whole movie about that guy. And this is one of the best examples of that because the best acting moments to me in the entire movie, like it's a very verbal movie. This is a very dialogue heavy movie. It's, maybe like one of my favorite scripts I've ever written was one of maybe my top five movies of all time, but it's a dialogue movie. And the best acting moment for me in the whole movie is that expression he gets right before he sits up from the chair where there's yeah. like this guilt and like pain. He's like suppressing, you know, in other movies, like you have a character like chugging Maylocks or I actually don't even say that word writer. Or there's like, or they say, Oh, I got an ulcer. But that guy just with this little look, you're like, he can't sleep at night. Like nah. he's like joking about something that is plaguing him. And I personally love that. It's just like, he can, he does so much with just a look. And it's funny. I'd never looked up his filmography before. And I was like, this guy has to be like in every big movie and I just forgot it. And he's not, I don't mm. understand. Like, I feel like there's so much production value in this guy show up because he has the same function. Like when you're watching like a film noir detective movie where like, you know, they meet a new character and they give kind of exposition and push you a little further along the line and they all kind of have disparate quirky personalities. But this guy just, I feel like he steals the movie for like 90 seconds uh, but also it's just a movie where like everyone in this movie is fucking perfect, <laughs> but you know, it's a scene that could just be like a nothing scene, 
but the word rat fucking Ugh. is just such a great word and his delivery of the word is great it's just it, you know it's an extremely cinematic sequence i'd say and it's, it's let's let's talk about i i don't know how i got onto this but i was talking to some um, other podcasters very recently on their show. And we started talking about the Maltese Falcon. And I feel like Robert Walden's got like a bit of Peter Laurie face, you know, like he just, there is something so lively and unique about his face. It feels like he must be that guy we've seen in 20 movies, whether he's right now, perfectly pitched guilt, other times sinister, like fucking around, you know, like that dodgy source that you need, whether it's in a, in a detective movie, who's going to give you the info, but he's like, you know, getting up to all sorts of mischief. Um, yeah. He's just a magnificent, a magnificent actor. And, and this thing, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is in the minute immediately preceding this, he's talking about, look, I'm, I'm a lawyer and he knows, and that guilt, that pang, the literal pang moment that you talk about. It's like Ralph getting his heart broken by Lisa before he sits up um, in this moment is so pitch perfect because it's like, it is the emotional sort of, it's the emotional effects of him knowing how deep the rabbit hole is. Like he knows how bad it is. He knows how much shit he's in. He's like, if one person finds one big information and all these dominoes count, like if I go up against a jury or a senatorial committee, I'm cooked. And he ultimately later would face those sorts of pressures. But man, it's just like you said, if you could, if you could have the ethos of making every single supporting actor feel like they're the most important thing in the movie, they literally do it with this guy that with everyone coming up, but Holy shit. I just love this scene. I just love the whole thing because again, it feels like they've had so many setbacks and in this moment it's really raw. It's really real. And he is being a bit, deflecting some you know answering some hard truths but his his body won't let him lie like it's it's all there yeah it's the first scene in the movie where you feel like they're gonna win in a way because yes. it, it feels like things are starting to unravel people are starting to say more than they usually would and you know it's one of the most interesting things about the movie to me is like i usually say i wish it you know most movies were 90 minutes but there's nothing to me better than a movie that like justifies its length or that the length makes the payoff even more rewarding and like how long it takes for these guys to, you know, solve this mystery and actually get it in the paper makes it even more rewarding. Like it feels like propulsive, even though it's very leisurely paced and like, you know, the score doesn't even kick into like 30 minutes. I think I might yeah. be wrong about that. No, the, fir the first real score moment is that library of Congress scene. And you're like, Holy shit, this movie hasn't had score yet. Like you don't, you kind of don't realize it because it's so, so deft. And so like, no, we're just going to leave everything really raw and authentic and we'll only, you know, jump in in very calculated moments. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if, if you're, if your movie's wall to wall music, you can't really appreciate it. It's the same thing. Like if a movie doesn't have a close up for a very long time, once it happens, it feels impactful. And the whenever there's music in this movie, it feels like just the right moment where you want that little bit of like adrenaline. You know, not like adrenaline's wrong word because that's like not what this movie is. This movie is like a uh, sort of like it's like an, the art version of like a you know a nice afternoon. I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's not like it's a it's not like it's a pulse pounding movie until. It is like 
when he's like, like the scene when he's like, we're going to back the boys or whatever the fuck he says. I, I'm talking about he, other minutes. We're, we're he, here to talk about rap fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you, look, as a person who I am so grateful that has listened to some of the shows that we've done, um, number one, you know that we relentlessly cheat, um, especially when we're in the middle of the movie because it's impossible to talk about this scene without referencing others. Um, and I will just say, I just love this. Fuck it, we'll stand by the boys because there's no one in human history that could say that line with better, I don't know, just better juice. I don't know what Jason Robards, what magic he has in that voice, but it's, fuck it, we'll stand by the boys. Just I would feel ever. like Judd Nelson at the end of uh, The Breakfast Club. That <laughs> line makes me want to just like throw my fist in the air and like have a free strike moment. Just appreciate line delivery and that line. Oh. It's like, uh, but they, that's just a movie filled with brilliant lines and brilliant moments and you know the appeal of a podcast like this is like it forces you to break it down because like while you're watching the movie like a moment will happen you'll be like god this is the best part of the movie and then 20 <laughs> minutes later you forgot that that was the best part because the thing that's happening right now that is the best part yes. like this movie is like jam-packed with either shots or moments or i mean the fucking lighting like i yeah. love the choice that when he backs up to the the railing outside uh the rat fuck guy i keep i don't have his name in front of me when uh, he like falls darkness but then he's still outside and it's like really bright day yeah. like the movie has so many important scenes where like you don't even see people's eyes but to me that makes draws you in like that scene in the beginning with like the robbers and they're in the room and they're waiting to see if the cops are going to show up and they're just like frozen and you can't even really see their expressions but you're like you can tell they're scared there's so many like moments in this movie that are just so ballsy like it just doesn't you like they it's never really telling you how to feel but you sort of probably everyone feels the way you're supposed to because it it's just it's all sort of like so finely tuned and and i just and also the thing like every time i watch it i'm like this is the time where I'm going to get a little bored, but I don't. I think <laughs> like, it, this is one of those movies where you're like, because I basically like categories movies like this into two different things, which is some are homework movies and some are great movies. And like homework movies are movies that like you watch having to bring the context of the time or what movies were like then uh, to the movie. So you kind of have to meet it halfway and it's more kind of like an intellectual exercise watching it. Yes. And then there's movies like this, which are like pure entertainment, but also intellectually engaging, like in the same way. Like it just does everything a movie should do. And it's just somehow never boring. Like you feel like it should be, but also like movies about journalists is one of the greatest genres ever newspaper men. And I was a journalism major in college. So I, uh, I love this shit. <laughs> and I was saying earlier, it's like when I was watching this, I was just like, no more moratorium on cop movies, just more movies about journalists. Like as Michael yes. Mann, I like, you know, the insider, like, yeah, it's as exciting as a cop movie. I'd say more so. I don't really want like a cop solving tobacco. No. I want like a journalist doing that, you know, because it's like the detective aspect of these movies is so fun because it's like you get a film noir movie, you get to watch a movie about people who are really good at their jobs. You get to watch a movie that has something to say about like very big macro ideas. You get to watch like a battle of good and evil without being overly sentimental. It's just like, it's just a good movie, man. <laughs> I think. It's, it's as good as it gets. And I, I love also 
you, you said about journalism movies, you get to have some of the same fun with the same tropes. Like you get the, you get the jaded middleman. Like that's, there's nothing better than Lowell Bergman being the jaded middleman in the system. Like the great detective who's in the department, you know, it's the, it's the McNulty of it all that we, we love in the wire so much. It's like he's jaded and you can't wait for him to get an opportunity. And one of the most deeply satisfying scenes, I think maybe in all movies is that great Bergman scene where he's like, are we going to air it? Of course not. Like that, that scene is so like, it's, oh my God, it's, it tickles you because you're like, God, this is exactly what you'd want to say to all those fucking bosses, those corporate bosses that you have. He gets to say it and he gets to be our avatar for that feeling. But I just want to quickly dive back and go, I love an afternoon. You're talking about the lighting of this movie, which I just think is one tiny element. But in this particular scene is I've, I've got a couple of friends who've got really nice apartments, you know, lucky enough to live on the, like close to the water, like Mrs. Segretti here, Robert Walden's character. And there's one thing about like sitting on their balconies in the afternoon. So when the, when the sun is at the back of the building, it's cold. And so one thing is like, I just love it about this tiny detail in the scene is like they're out there on this balcony, but it's actually cold. They're having a cup of tea, the light works. It's really dark. You got, you got the brightness of the water and the reflection in the background, but the choice to have it there. And then again, just there's something about them, you know, sitting out, he's still got that sweater, which a couple of people have now said on the show they want to own. Um, I think I'm one of them. And he's like on the, there, he's on the couch on these chairs, they're talking. He's sort of a little bit bunched up because it's quite chilly out there. There's something about that atmospheric. It's just like, oh my God, how, you know, a great choice, a great pull. And again, you know, um, I think we, t- we talked to the great film critic, Jason Bailey along the way on this show. And Jason was just like, after all of the newsroom scenes where Gordon Willis, one of the greatest cinematographers of all time has to shoot everyone under this halogen flooded lights, you know, this fluorescence, you know, when, when he went outside or could go anywhere, Alan Pakula was like, go ham, my son, go ham, like just do whatever you want. And so I feel like underground car parks, outdoor interiors, car rides, um, just another great scene where it feels like a lived in place and doesn't feel like a movie. Like that's the, that, that is something. Um, and finally, what I'd say to you before we start chatting about the next thing is I've lied to myself so many times, Ben David, that I could just watch this movie, even though I'm in this fucking project, I could just watch it while I'm doing other things for like day jobs or other things. Like I'll just have it on in the background, white noise, like I used to with one heat minute, but because I'm so in deep, I do, I, I can't. I end up like typing like three paragraphs of something and then I'm fucking down the rabbit hole. Like it's just over. I just start watching it and I'm like leaning back in my office chair and I'm like, God damn it. I was meant to be working. I was meant to be doing something else. This thing wasn't meant to catch me, but it just gets me every time. I can't figure out how, like I fucking love the parallax view. And I really, I mean, I love so many of his movies, but the fascinating thing, like how different these two movies are. Yes. Like just like this scene, this way this scene is shot and staged and executed, it's like would not fit into that movie. It's like he brings his style kind of shaped around what the material is as opposed to like doing every movie the exact same way. And this movie is like a very naturalistic, uh, very like bare bones, meat and potatoes thing. And that's just like a batshit paranoid fantasy. And, and it's so different. I don't really know where that tangent came from. So we can maybe get a little back on track. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, but I think that's, that's the weird tendency with Pakula is I think that even those, that three paranoia trilogy, they're all doing such different things. Like Clute is its own universe and then Parallax is its own wild fantasy. And, and, 
and presidents is this really sort of docudrama specific authenticity mode of storytelling. And they all have this, like, I don't know whether it's like pervasive dread or something. There's just something that's underneath this simmering thing that's happening to you, but the level of expression, it's like the, you know, um, parallax paints with the brightest colors. Like everything is, everything feels like Michelle. It's like if Michelle Gondry made all the president's man, it would look like a parallax view, but it was made by the same two guys, like the same guy. And then basically the same core team did both movies. And it's just like, what the fuck? How does this even happen? Like, I just, I marvel at that every single time I watch, I watch his stuff because he's such a, a profound talent. And like, like you said, a sense from the material, what does the material need? And in parallax, it needs something wild and fantastical and, and larger than life. And, and to make Warren Beatty's character feel like a little flea um, that's trying to, you know, butt up against this ginormous infrastructure. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's they're both special. like one of those movies that it just, it's sort of like an atom bomb. Like if you're like a big movie nerd, it's like almost everyone I know who watched Clute, they like watch it at some weird stage. Like, Oh, I guess I'll watch Clute. I'd heard Clute was good. And then you watch it and you're just like, it is so beautiful and dreamlike and the compositions are fucking nuts. I mean, it has some of my favorite shots ever, but this one does too but stylistically visually they're so different whether not even just like that that's anamorphic and this one isn't like it's just fascinating i gotta say i have to throw down for the pelican brief i think it's one of the most underrated ever if you watch that movie like just go rent on itunes sometime during quarantine and then pick any modern blockbuster like and compare them just in terms of craft that movie is so well made and it feels gigantic. Like there's huge crowd scenes in that, that to me are more thrilling than like a giant CG spaceship crashing into another one, even mm. though like I like those movies and like, I'd like them like Pelican brief is like a really exciting movie and completely different from this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I would even, I go to bat one show that often comes up in his later career for us um, on this show a lot is presumed innocent. I'm like, tell me a more kind of messed up, courtroom entangled thriller than presumed innocent and tell me like almost a better harrison ford performance like he's so great and there are so many great performances in that movie and there's such a tone and also so different from these movies as well like but they also feel like you know at least uh the infrastructure or sorry the architecture of how he's structuring those movies he kind of it's it's the guy who made them it's the guy who made these movies because he knows he knows what he's looking for but oh man so good so excellent yeah, it's like the end of that movie is such a knockout when you like <laughs> yes. uh, what was really going on. That movie is like a little trashy, but it's like very classy trash. Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think like some of my favorite movies are like really sleazy. That one gets like right on the edge of being one of those sort of erotic 90s thrillers kind of in terms of it, it just feels like you need to take a shower after watching it which is what which you don't get with clued even though clued is about like a similar like is about very kind of similar things i guess i mean but then again i haven't watched presumed innocence in a while i i one day uh just decided i was going to watch all like legal thrillers that i hadn't seen <laughs> so like the last time i saw that i think it was like in a marathon of like six of them so i'm like 
That's the one where like the wife at the end confesses that she, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. what movie that is. <laughs> and literally you could describe that plot twist in about four of those six <laughs> ones that, <laughs> that you just described watching because that's basically a 90s erotic legal thriller. The wife usually admits to doing something bad or the woman is the one who is put in the position of like actually, you know, attempting to hurt this man. Like anything. It's always be- like some actor who you're like, why did they agree to just play the wife? Like they haven't had anything to do and then suddenly they have this huge monologue like we're two minutes into it where the husband is like but denise how could you you took a life and she's like yeah i took a life but all my life and it just goes into that whole thing and then it's like a great play you know that stuff is great <laughs> oh god bless you for uh for the name Denise. I think that that's where you show your true writing and filmmaking chops as you pluck the perfect name out of the, out of the universe and out of the air to use for like that. that or Barbara. It's gotta Barbara. be like, it's gotta be one of those things for like the wife who the whole time, she just seems like she's just sipping tea in the corner of the frame, the whole movie <laughs> waiting for that thing. And then it's just suddenly she's like more from Shit's Creek with her big thing. <laughs> Look, I, I don't, I've gone way too many tangents. Well, let's get focused. What were we doing? <laughs> I've gone, we've gone from 90s thrillers to Moira from Shit's Creek. Um, and uh, that's, that's, that that's a very good, that's a very good uh, uh, companion piece. What? Are there good? I broke uh, your brain. <laughs> no, no. I was, no, you can't you, hear expression, but it's like, you had like a robot with an error message. <laughs> like, like, what the no, no, I was I was just trying to think like what why have journalist movies why has it been so hard for journalist movies to break through? Like other than, you know, we've got this sort of corporate journalism thriller with Michael Mann in nineteen ninety nine with the insider. You've got, you know, obviously Spotlight, which won um a, a biggest big stack of awards and, and critical acclaim and is, you know, very rewatchable. You got journalism, cautionary tales, um, uh, sort of like the shattered glass, and 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 you can see also in the wire, you know, in season five of the wire, it very much you know cements itself as like, you know, doing that bridging journalism thing of old school journalism, new school. What's why? Why are there so few of such an what is ultimately such an effective genre? Why are there so few journalism movies that are coming out now that are about contemporary journalism? Because it feels like it's like for me as the person who's doing this show, it feels ripe. To, to tackle it and use some of those, you know, tropes from police shows, but there just doesn't seem to be like the desire to do journalism movies because of, I don't know what. I mean, that's what I loved about uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo mm. is it's sort of is a journalism movie, but in general, it feels like people are not making movies for adults unless they're designed to hopefully win an Oscar. And <laughs> it's not always just that crass. It's because, you know, the awards can be used as a, form of marketing to feel like people will probably check out the movie, get your money back. But there aren't a lot of like movies that are made just to entertain that are about like adults doing adult things right now. And it's like, you know, you go back to like thirties, forties, fifties and forties. There's so many movies, paper men, even if it's not like a movie about journalism, it's like one of the lead guys might be a newspaper man. It, it happened yes. one night, all those things. And it was, seem like a real sexy cool job and it's like the i don't think it has the like allure anymore i mean you know like the i like the paper a lot uh, yes paper's great uh, mainly just 
<laughs> Michael Keaton yelling "fuck you" on the phone. <laughs> Michael Keaton in, in Michael Keaton in all movies yelling "fuck you" down a phone um, infinitely improves anything. At least a star added to any score of any movie with Michael Keaton talking to someone on the phone telling them "fuck you." Three actors were great at yelling: Michael Keaton, Tom Hanks, and Dustin Hoffman. Like Dustin Hoffman <laughs> just yelling after Redford taxi in this movie. Is so good. But yeah, it's like to me, I don't know it feels like they're only there if they're issue movies and like i want to see more journalism movies where someone's just solving a murder like or yeah. they're solving a corruption case or like you know and but like but also there's just not a like they're usually based on real life stories if you look at most of them i think of the last several decades it's like they're almost all either based on a real thing or just based on like a huge book but like i don't know man it's like i want to see I wish there was like a Tony Scott journalism movie, you oh, know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. like I wish there was like he, in the nineties, he made some movie that starred like, I don't know, like Christian Slater and Dennis Hopper is like <laughs> a local rag who suddenly like find out that the water's being poisoned, but it's being poisoned by like the mob. I don't know. Like that shit. You, you just like, know that like there's a, there's a Chinatown esque scene where both of those guys drive up to a closed fence. And as they go to look on the fence, like look through and see what's happening, their car explodes behind them. Like that's, that's the movie that I see in my head. Like that's, that's exactly the kind of movie I want to see. Yeah. Last boy scout, except <laughs> how and back's a journalist. Like it's like how and back you missed your deadline. No, no, but they maybe need, they need journalists. And then they use how and back to sort of help, Supp, you know, supplement an investigation. You know, bring bring back Joe Hallenbach. What a great character! What a great I mean, feeling. You know, but I, the the best journalist character probably is Fletch. I mean, come on, <laughs> you like, you have, like and and somehow it's good. like he's an undercover reporter who gets hired to help a guy fake his death, and then unravels a big mystery like that that's the best it's like fletch if it didn't have jokes would still be a really entertaining movie because the mystery is good and yes. that's like the thing it's like but there's not really enough detective movies now like why aren't we solving mysteries man like like the mysteries and movies all seem to be just like that space cube land in egypt in 1945 and <laughs> guys sold it on ebay like the mystery is like holding <laughs> off these reveals to the hour mark or like spock or optimus prime or someone show up and then tell you what's really going on in the movie like i want like a woodward and bernstein to like our mark find out that like uh the the local da is actually a serial killer or something yes uh, I, I mean anyone just listening like these are all ideas that we fully endorse and want to see like i i'm i'm in I, i'm in i, I want to no see no one got to this point in the podcast <laughs> i think Everyone turned it off the second I somehow brought up Shit's Creek for no reason. No, I look. I'm only very new to Shit's Creek, but I did. So I, I, I find, I'm so glad that I actually got the reference. But no, people are listening. People love you. You're the Twitter guy. Remember, <laughs> remember from the beginning of the podcast. Okay, the guy, the scientist at MIT, who knows my name because of Twitter. So in that sense, you may be on to something. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fletch lives. Not good though. No, no, no. But that's, it's, it's funny, like you said, with just even the profession of being a journalist as like just a pure device, like with Fletch is fun. It's fun. As, and it also makes sense that he's not like this blustery detective. It gives him the excuse to be this sardonic, like whip smart dick, the whole movie. And just, you know, obviously that's, 
you know, Chevy Chase's greatest muscle to flex as an actor. Um, but yeah, no, there, there needs to be more of that. There needs to be more of like, I, and I, I really don't want the like, the like the cautionary journalism movies are not the ones I kind of want. I like that in this movie and we talked about it, like how, how it comes up. It's like, I want to see the journalists, if they do fuck up and have setbacks, it's like real life. Like it's not, it's not always the shattered glass guy who makes up the whole serial killer story. And it's not always that, that, that thing. It's, it's that in the process of stories, you sometimes have sources that lie to you. You sometimes have, you know, a, a trusted source for many years who like is maybe, um, gets tangled up in us in a story. Like it was a corrupt police officer, someone who's you've used as a source before and they get, you know, like I love in this movie that the setbacks feel so natural and just feel like it's part of the job, just like most jobs where you have setbacks and you have failures and you've got to keep plotting and pushing through. And even in this conversation we watch, like how he's like, Oh Don, you know, you should feel like that. You know, you know, you were doing the right thing. And he knows that he kind of doesn't say what he means to say to him, to keep him talking. So then he has to like, he, he stubs out his cigarette in frustration and walks inside and then asks him to reminisce again to start exacting information. So even in this scene, there's a setback, but uh, yeah, that's one thing that annoys the crap out of me with some of these more like shattered glasses where I can't watch them. I, the cautionary tales of it all. It's like, not all journalism is like this. There's a problem, but you can take it. You know, if, if this is what you think of journalists, then that's, that's not what it is. Yeah. I guess the other element of journalism movies that are just inherently is attire is super cinematic because it looks awesome and it sounds awesome. So yes. it's like, it's perfect for the medium. Like yes. there's something, seeing someone type on a typewriter, you're just like, this seems important. Like any, <laughs> like if you're typing something on a typewriter in a movie, I, I like lean in, oh boy, like they can't backspace that. <laughs> I mean, it, that, like typewriters, like in real life, I would never want to use one. It sounds like hell. And I don't, I'm not like Tom Hanks. I don't like collect them or anything, but they look great in movies and they sound great. Uh, and this movie like uses that sound effect better than any other movie. Like just the giant deafening, like the opening and ending with the smashing into the paper and stuff. That's a good movie. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty good. I'm kind I think of- you should do a podcast about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it. I think I think it sounds like a good idea. I think I think you've convinced me. You've definitely convinced me. You can just do a podcast about rat fucking because it is one of my favorite words. It is it, so. It's it sounds juvenile, but also sounds like really clever at the same time. It's yes. just, and it's also like super depressing because <laughs> there's a whole culture of people where like there is no morals. There's only winning. So it's just like as long as I don't break the law. Uh, and as long as I don't like murder anyone, everything's fair game. And it's the most depressing thing about it. I mean, now, now it's like Facebook back then, Nixon never would have resigned. Yeah. I often think about, I often think about what would, what would imagine Nixon with Twitter. Imagine Nixon with Twitter. I, you know, and it, with everything that he put on tape, I don't think he probably would have had discretion with typing. It's the same <laughs> thing. Like his, his missing tapes where he, you know, says all these dumb, racist, horrible things. It's the same as Trump tweeting shit. I just think Nixon seems in general a little smarter. Um, yeah, way, way smarter. I, the the one example I often use with people and, you know, speaking in the language of movies is, and I'm not sure if you've seen it, but there's a terrific documentary, Apollo 11, which came out, which is where the um, filmmakers rediscovered, you know, a whole stash of, you know, 65 millimeter original footage taken around the Apollo 
you know, the Apollo moon landing and, and the launch um, and sort of narrativized it in this incredible documentary. And there's a moment like this soaring moment of like pure human solidarity, um, a mankind solidarity, if you will, where Nixon like, you know, congratulates the troops and talks about this is not just an American achievement. It's an achievement for, you know, mankind and talks about the importance of, you know, human ingenuity and those sorts of things. And I remember watching it, knowing that I was about to lead into this project. And I was like, I cannot imagine the current administrator of your country uh, ever being able to say something so eloquent or as selfless or as something that was about international interest rather than personal interest. Um, So in that respect, Nixon is like a different guy, but like you said, you know, he's a pretty forthright dude. So I think if he was defending himself, um, he, he might've, I think Woodward and Bernstein might've had to um, cancel their Twitter accounts because he would have uh, set the Nixon trolls on him big time. I feel like Nixon would probably handle COVID better. Yeah. You know, shut that, like, he shut that shit down. I don't think, I, I think that in that sense, we should probably start looking at him in a more positive light. <laughs> you could really, <laughs> honestly, I feel like, literally any president would have handled this better. I mean, and that's just a, a sad thing. It's like when I'm caught up in this movie, I love it so much. It doesn't, I don't get like depressed that they were able to take this guy down and now we can't. Yes. Um, but when I'm not watching it, I think about the fact that like it is depressing, but the movie is so good and so engaging that I don't kind of engage it on that sort of, like the sad layers that you get from the modern context of it. It just feels hopeful. And then it ends and I go back to feeling nihilistic again. <laughs> but there is a real kind of hope beneath this, which is like, if two people just work really hard and don't give up on something, they can take down the villain. And it's happened a couple times. But then, you know, the sad irony now is that Woodward. I don't want to be like Trump and forget who the Woodward wrote the new book, right? Yes. Uh, totally sucks. It's like, <laughs> like just the idea that he recorded all this stuff and sat on it for six months. I don't know if it would have done anything, uh, but I tend to be leaning on the side of if someone had released tapes in February with Trump saying that it was airborne, people would have started wearing masks earlier and would have approached it differently because like I was on planes in March and I was just washing my hands nonstop and I was a a crowd of people, but I just made sure I was washing my hands all the time. But meanwhile, I'm just like, I was inhaling everything from everybody. (laughs) I didn't know it was airborne. I'm not a fucking scientist and someone knew it was airborne and then a fucking, I mean, the movie version of that is like Woodward hears that and it cuts to six months later. And then he like puts out a book and you're like, or I want to see six months where you're just like sitting around the house like not telling people that you know. <laughs> what the fuck dude it's uh, it, what's what's crazy now is and it's a good you know i'm 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 swinging a bit like a pendulum on it going like i get why you know i get this guy who has basically done this modus operandi for like 30 40 years where he goes in and he does interviews and it's for a book and he has final say or whatever and he does it but it's like the paradigm shifted in 2020 it's different and especially when you've got a president who, you know, you're seeing lots of them online and on Twitter and things like that of like a day that Trump 
says something live in the media and is being heavily scrutinized. And then like side by side is the recording from like the same day. So on the same day, he's saying, no, it's not this, it's not that. And then he's on the phone to Woodward and he's like, no, it is. Yeah, it's bad. Oh, it's bad, Bob. It's bad. And you're like, this is not even. And if February, February, if he's saying it's way worse than the flu, every time he'd say it later, I mean, just to me, it feels like him like, hey, that car over there, the brakes aren't working. And he's like, oh, interesting. I won't tell anybody. I'm going to let him drive it for six months. It just feels like, uh, but you know, you know, he, he's probably smarter than I am, you know, because he's uh, been really good at a job forever. And I just make a <laughs> horror shows for kids. So maybe, maybe I just, I can't see the 3D chess and Woodward's brain. I mean, I think his argument is that because he wanted to have it be closer to the election because it'd be more impactful. But, you know, I just think people needed to know it was airborne earlier, man. And I don't. I don't want to be about that. I, I joked about that earlier. I don't want to see any movie about this time period. Ever. <laughs> you just want 2020 want... to disappear. You think there is any chance I'm going to watch the fucking Comey rule? Like, I don't care how right. great they say Brendan Gleeson is as Trump. I am not going to watch anything about Comey. I don't want to see that. I still haven't seen W, the Oliver Stone movie about George W. Bush. I'm just like, I'm not. No. <laughs> just, leave me, just, just leave me alone with that it's not entertainment i don't know what it is yeah i i think i watched w but i watched w at the time around the time that it came out but you know because i'm i'm also a big oliver stone fan but it's a bit yeah i don't know what it what it is but i but i'll watch oh, the shit the out of it is a character in this movie that's yeah. a good transition that's Nixon's great not in this movie that's awesome like i love that he's like the boogeyman he's like the shark in jaws and you keep waiting for him to show up and then he doesn't Yes. And I, I think if there was ever a movie made about any of the Trump period, I don't want to see Trump. I've seen enough. I think we've all seen enough. Okay. I think we've all seen enough. We don't need any more of it. It's just like, please no. Um, but sometimes. I, I would watch a movie called This Fucking Guy that was about Fauci <laughs> just going home every night being like, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, the, just the sort of like, him on the other side of a phone and you don't hear Trump, but just the look on his face, he just, mm. it's like such a perfect, like Steve Buscemi part. <laughs> just like, him just being like, okay, sir. Yeah. Okay. Go at your McDonald's. Um, for uh, the love of God, what are you doing? Just write it, get sent it to Buscemi, you know, film it safely. And, and there's a 15 minute, 20 minute short film. Look, if I had, if any of these ideas were actually good, I wouldn't be saying them out loud. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying them out loud. I, I have to uh, I'm saying them out loud because they shouldn't be written. So, oh, well, look, um, I just want to say, um, uh, to save your, your new posse, uh, because, uh, your laptop is currently dying. Um, I just want to say a huge thank you for being a part of the show, my friend. Um, I, uh, you know, you talk about watching this movie and it feels great. And then you go back to nihilism. And I think that anyone who's listening to this show has had nothing but joy and love and awesomeness. And now, um, leaving you is going to feel like nihilism again, but thank you so much for being a part of the show. I'm, I'm such sure a huge... it's your worst episode. So I think, <laughs> I, I think, I think the, the, there's going to be like three people who get to the end and then they're going to say, you're right. It was the worst. Episode. <laughs> it's so. not. No way. Never. This has been a ball. You're great. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for your support, even in tweets and shares and all those things. It, it means the world and uh, you're awesome. And thank you so much for being a part of the show. Well, it's a Twitter guy signing off. <laughs>
isn't Ben David Grabinski just a joy? I mean, he's an absolute joy. Currently uh, wrapping and finishing up Happily, which is due in 2021. Are You Afraid of the Dark series? If you're in the States, check it out on Nickelodeon. It is a, uh, a teen horror show um, and extremely well regarded. He is the Twitter guy, self-professed Twitter guy, at BD Grabinski, G-R-A-B-I-N-S-K-I on Twitter. And he's a joy. He's a, a lover and champion of movies who is now making movies. And uh, that was a complete blast. Um, I will not hear of him. He will not He will not co-opt my show to tell you that this was not fun. This has been an episode of All the President's Minutes. You can find us on Twitter at, at ATPMPod. You can find me at One Blake Minute on Twitter and Instagram. You can also support us by clicking the links in the bottom of the show notes or just share. Give us a share, rate, review, go nuts. Thanks for listening.